Hi, I'm Marielle Hemingway. As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process. Go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation. This episode is brought to you by Mindstir Media and the Sunrise segment of the Outcomes of Sun podcast radio. Out Comes the Sun, with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Out Comes the Sun Radio. I am here with my beautiful co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi, and I'm Mariel Hemingway. And today, we've got a really interesting show today. I really like it. It got my head reeling, but... We talk about what I'm doing here in a hotel room in Idaho. You're like, Waldo, where are you? I know, right? Because two days ago, I was in Kansas City. I was in Waldo. <laughs> uh, I know that's a fictional place, but they've actually created, there's actually a little town, and now they call it Smallville because it was whatever, the Superman series, they based this, they based the town on this Kansas City town, and now they kind of call the town Smallville even though it isn't really. Anyway, that, that's a whole other story. What I'm doing in Idaho is I'm here for Optum Idaho, and you know uh, uh, that I work with them because they have a whole section for behavioral health, but also now it's become whole health, which is really kind of cool. So we're turning it into, which as you know, Melissa, this is my passion, is to make people realize that mental health is really about everything you do, yep. what you eat, what you, what, how you sleep, whether you drink water, meditate, earth, get get out in nature, move your body. All of these different things are so important. And and Optum has been such a great partner for, for me, for us, in in regard to really getting a message out there because I do PSAs for them, you know. And tonight, um, I'm going to Napa, Idaho, and I'm doing a community conversation uh with uh, with some people and we're going to, I'm going to tell my story a little bit, but then we're going to break off into little groups. And in these groups, each person and e- each group will be able to tell their story, talk to the group about what they might, you know, might, might be pressing hard on their heart and, and I'll be going around with others and experts in the field, uh, kind of guiding them and helping people to get to a place where they feel comfortable enough to tell their story. Because I'm a big believer that once you start to tell yeah. your story, that kind of opens the door to a solution. Yep. I yeah. love it. I love it because you're, a, there's going to be people arriving at this who have no other outlet or no way of knowing how to even begin. And beginning the conversation is sometimes harder than telling the conversation, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's not, it's it's so hard and we're talking about idaho you know idaho is a very conservative state and 
and people don't like to open up about, you know, they're still kind of in that, like, I'm tough enough, you know, I'm yeah. buying, buying their stock. And so it's it's very challenging. It's not Los Angeles or New York City where everybody's like emoting and going on. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Your Uber driver's <laughs> telling you his feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Their story today is about how, you know, whatever. So it's it, it'll be really powerful and optum's been very effective the psas that i do yes i really love them because i've talked about food i've talked about uh drinking water i've talked about people with ptsd coming out of the military or just trauma in their home i mean there's yeah. just all kinds of there's so many things that add to you know to our mental balance and they've been such a great partner for that so i'm grateful to them I'm glad you're there doing it with them. They're neat. They're a great team. You even had a, you had a PSA that I saw also. I've seen all of them, but one that I thought I get a kick out of it when I see it. It's where you're talking about men. And I think it was the crew that was in the background playing basketball. Oh, yeah. So yeah. my husband is, you know, my son and my husband, big basketball people. They're like, that's not a layup. What was that? And they're watching it because I'm showing. <laughs> poor, poor team. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, uh, but you're doing a great job up there. We're going to need to get it across the country, but you're doing a great job. No, it's so much fun. And 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 it's it's so important and it's having a huge effect so i'm i'm going to tell you we've had almost two million impressions um since what? just this year of uh, and and views on on these psas so that means that it's having an impact I you know it. for me that's like what that's, that's so huge cool. congratulations that's really important that's yeah, good stuff, really good stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's it's awesome. So anyway, that's it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio. We have an amazing guest and she is coming up in just a moment. Two and two. Good morning, Santa Barbara. You're listening to The Morning Show with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi, that'd be me, right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara. Hey there, I am Hillary DeCesar, the CEO and founder of The Relaunch Co. And if you are looking right now at scaling your life, scaling your business and trying to do it with a fine-tuned formula that has worked for literally thousands because I've been doing this coaching thing for over 23 years, you're going to want to tune in and tune into a process that I have developed for success. You can check it out at therelaunch.com therelaunch.com. Sign up for many of our free courses to get you tuned in and stop being tuned out to what is ultimately yours. I am so excited today. I am with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi, and we are taping Out Comes the Sun. Hi, it's Kevin Nealon. I have a new book out now called I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame. It's a collection of my caricatures and accompanying anecdotes. Also, if that's not enough for you, I have a little hiking show on YouTube. It's a web series. It's called Hiking with Kevin. But more importantly, right now, you're listening and watching Outcomes the Sun 
with Muriel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Outcomes of Sun Radio. Uh, you are here with Melissa Yamaguchi, my co-host, and myself, Marielle Hemingway. And we have an amazing guest today. Uh, her name is Darlene Lancer, and she is a married author. Uh, she wrote Codependency for Dummies and Conquering Shame and Codependency, Eight Steps to Freeing the True You. She has been helping men and women recover from codependency trauma for over 30 years. Amazing work. Her latest book, Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist, Essential Tools for Improving or Leaving Narcissistic and Abusive Relationships, will help you take back your power and independence, reclaim yourself, and improve your relationship. You can purchase Darlene's new book on her website, whatiscodependency.com, or on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I'm thrilled to have you here because this is such an important subject. I mean, it's just so important that... We talk about not only codependency, but narcissism, which which I don't know. I feel like it's been kind of I'm just now getting an understanding of what narcissism really is, to be quite honest. And I think that um, I think it's a very challenging relationship to be in, to be to come out of, because I think what happens when you're in a, and you please correct me because you yeah, are. Sure. I am not. But it feels as though that narcissism is very closely linked to passive aggressive behavior and i was around narcissists pretty much my whole life and and their passive aggressive behavior and was unable to recognize that in someone and really fell kind of i want to say fell prey to to their ability to manipulate and i was like uh, i become like this kitten of like I, I I become kind of stupid. Like I can't function. I don't know what to do. I'm starting to be able to recognize it, but at first, it's it's blinding. Like, does that make any sense to you? Oh, absolutely, because it's it's hidden. It's hostile um, hostility that's hidden. Yes, you know, it's passive, and so it could be you could be insulted, catched in a compliment, or sarcasm, and then you know the words sound might sound positive. But you feel queasy and you know that it's, yes. you, know, you know, there's something bad. And then it's like, you don't know what to say because yeah. it sounds nice on the surface. And they can just say, well, I was just joking or what are you implying and put you on the defensive. And what you're supposed to do is respond to your gut and just say, cut it out. You know, I, I know what you're doing and, and address that directly. So yes. I have a blog on my website about um you know, passive aggression and, and how to respond to it. Narcissists are master manipulators. Mm-hmm. And right. there's something called covert narcissism. And they use more passive aggression where they're, as opposed to a grandiose narcissist, will just insult you directly. Um, right. But they both use passive aggression. But uh, you don't have to be a narcissist to be ca- passive aggressive. And actually, codependents can be passive aggressive, too. They can be pleasing and be nice, even though they have a lot of resentment. So, uh, or just forgetful, um, that's the way that's like passive aggression resistance. It's like saying no all the time. Yeah. Right. Wow. You just said, you just touched on something uh, that kind of sent some bells off in my head. So some of the behaviors of passive aggressiveness, 
Um, you said saying forgetfulness. No, I'm not. I'm not lumping. I know there's different reasons people would be forgetful. But um, some some of the tactics of saying no without overtly saying no. I think this happens more than we are aware of. You see it in okay. workplaces nonstop. You see it on in sports in every single scenario, darling. Don't you? See, I mean, this is this is something sure. that I I've never heard. Of it yeah. Sometimes kids will be maybe they have aggression or uh, anger, but they're not allowed to express it in the home where they're punished for. So they just drag their feet. They don't do their homework. They are, you know, moody and they're just disagreeable. They don't want to cooperate. And it could be just a lot of repressed anger and, and, uh, where they, so that the antidote is to be able to be assertive to help people who want to change that behavior, which is usually they're unaware of it, but their partner or somebody else is pointing it out, but it's to learn to be assertive. And, you know, I wrote a bunch of ebooks too to help people with learning new skills because a lot of overcoming codependency is just learning new skills, learning to be assertive, raising your self-esteem, which you can do because self-esteem is learned. Um, it's learning self-care, you know, learning yeah. to set boundaries. So I have a lot of ebooks that are all like workbooks to help people, self-forgiveness and things like that. So um, passive aggression used to be a personality disorder in the diagnostic code, but they took it out. So there was a lot of dispute about that, but it used to be a, a disorder. And when people write me, sometimes they have a spouse that's passive aggressive. I have to tell them it's very hard to deal with it because it's it's almost easier when somebody is direct right. and um, aggressive, and then you can set boundaries. But when somebody just fails to mothers that don't cook for their kids, they don't help, or you know, or just someone who's sitting on the couch, it's hard to make someone do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stop it. The the weird thing about passive aggressive, I mean, for me, and I come from a family that has, I mean, such brilliance, but also there's this tremendous, you know, alcoholism, this and that, and, and, and mental illness, right? And my big fear was that I was going to be, go crazy, you know, quote unquote crazy, or I was going to be mentally right. and not even know it. And the, the person that was passive aggressive towards me really worked on that. It's because it made me feel crazy. I would think, oh my gosh, maybe I am, you know, maybe I am crazy. Maybe this, maybe that. It's so, it's very, it's very interesting. It's interesting that you say it used to be it used to be considered a disorder because I think that having a name for it is 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 very helpful. I don't know. It, it's it's very interesting. I so appreciate your work because I think it's very difficult for people, especially coming out of a relationship. I've got a very close friend who is coming out of a relationship that was extremely uh, narcissistic uh, and passive aggressive as well, and she is. It's just she's really was wounded. She was wounded for quite some time. And she's still kind of, and she's angry. And the, the funny thing is that you're saying all these things, she's so angry. You well, know, like, is, yeah, I'm glad well, you brought that up. Yeah. Because what is um, repressed or unconscious in one person often, you know, shows up in the other. So right. the passive aggressive person is not expressing their anger. So then the partner feels it and they, and then they look like the angry, crazy one. <laughs> wow. They start losing their temper, and then the passive-aggressive person says, there you go again, you know, what's wrong with you? Right. You, you think you're the problem, but you're picking up, it's called projective identification. It's a defense that they use, and the other person then carries it. The same thing with shame, like a narcissist or an abusive parent, you know, like shames their child, and That's it comes right. from their background and their insecurity and feeling inferior and inadequate. And then they, it's called like transfer shame, and then the child carries all that shame. And they think that it's me, it's my fault. What's wrong with me? I, I'm angry. I don't love my mother, my father. Um, yeah. So. 
Yeah. Some other characteristics, since you brought it up, uh, that I go through on my blog is uh, denial of forgetting things, procrastinating, obstructing, being ambiguous. They never say what they mean. Uh, they never get angry. They don't express it openly. They act incompetent. And I mentioned lateness. And they're just generally negative and stubborn or argumentative. And then they play the victim. And narcissists love to do this, that it's all your fault or somebody else's fault. They yes. never take responsibility for it. So, or withholding communication. Like, okay, it's always, you, you always win. It's your way. And then they stop. You can't have a discussion with them. They just say, okay, you're right. And then they walk away from a conversation. So, uh, what's the answer? Darling, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? What do you, what do you do in that situation as as a partner as a as a coworker as a boss or if you're dealing with this and you're you're addressing an issue you're trying to be direct and direct an issue what what are a few well, yeah what are yeah, your tools the first thing i would say is to start becoming an observer and take notes and write down all these behaviors and so and read up on it uh, you can go to my website and there's other information and learn to spot it and realize that it's not you so you become very uh, an expert in passive aggression, and then you can call it out. Yeah. And you don't want to react or nag or scold or get angry because you're just escalating the conflict. And by the way, there's like, uh, I have some rules of how to not to deal with an abuser. Your natural instinct is to explain, defend, uh, argue, uh, make your points, uh, or even plead or get angry and scold. None of that helps. In fact, when you argue, you lose. Yeah. So you don't want to ignore it either. You want to confront it. You want to confront it in uh, an effective way. And I have something called uh, systematic transactional communication. And I describe it in my book, uh, Dating, Loving, and Leading a Narcissist. Uh, it's how to confront uh, an abuser in a way that they will take notice. Really? And you have to do it without accusing because they're usually very sensitive. You know, they can dish, but they can't take it. Right. So you don't want to be critical. And also, I'm not saying everybody who's passive aggressive, but. Many abusers and certainly narcissists are not interested in your feelings. So you want to share with them how this hurts you and your feelings. They don't care. Their, their relationships to them are transactional. Wow. You have to understand that and deal with them transactionally. So, so what would you say, what would you say, what are some, uh, you, you probably have a laundry list of things, but what would you say to, you know, in, in that conversation, how would you confront it without Okay, well, if someone is, say is uh, late for dinner or something, you can let them know that um, you don't like it when they're late and that uh, you're going to go ahead and, and maybe they'll make excuses or I'm not sure what they might say or just ignore you. And then you let them know that, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to start eating without you. Or if you're meeting them at a restaurant, I'm going to wait 10 minutes. If you're not there, I'm going to leave. So you let them know and you let them know when you disregard my needs or the effort I put into making dinner, you know, then I feel, I don't feel inclined to meet your needs. I mean, I get angry and I don't feel that I'm valued. And so this relationship has to be a two-way street. It has to work for both of us. Gotcha. Do you listen to the consequences that they will care about? Right. Like my loving feelings go away. Or I don't really feel like going to your office party when, you know, you're, I feel like my effort or my needs are disrespected. Right. Right. So it depends. You, every relationship is different. Right. It's harder when your partner wants nothing from you. Right. Then you have no leverage. Do they, do they care? Do, you can't, do they care about your feelings or do they just not recognize them? 
Well, who's they? Are you talking? Well, they, the, they, the, they were speaking of the, the narcissist. Yeah. Do oh, the narcissist because there's people that are passive aggressive that aren't narcissistic. So, do, do people who are narcissist or passive aggressive? How do they handle other people's feelings? Are they are they cognizant of it? It depends on the level of narcissism, and especially if they're attacked, they're not going to care. Okay. But there's, you know, narcissists lack empathy. That's one of the criteria. But they may have good cognitive empathy which means they can intellectually understand, but they may not emote, care enough to have it matter. So you have to motivate them. Right. Like this is going to, yes. you know, we haven't been getting along and I'm not sure if this relationship will last. Usually they don't want to leave. They want to get their narcissistic supply, meaning they want to get their needs met. They want attention. They want sex. They want adoration, whatever it is, they, or help in some respect or money. I don't know what it is they want. Right. You have to you know, figure that out. Um, well, could you explain, could you tell us the difference between a narcissist, a passive aggressive and a codependent? I mean, I'm sure they're miles different. But well, passive aggressive is a, just one behavior. It's not like uh, they may be a narcissist. They may not be. They could be codependent. But one of the things that you know, I have a whole chapter in my book on comparing yeah. narcissists and codependents. So they both have a lot of symptoms in common. In fact, um, I believe that narcissists are codependent. So okay. that sometimes confuses people, but that doesn't make codependents narcissistic. So they may or may not be. But well, what's they the have, difference between those two? What's the difference between a codependent? Or what is codependent? I mean, well, I, now I'm so okay. confused. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I have about five symptoms for codependency. I wrote this book, Codependency okay. for Dummies. So, <laughs> so it's somebody whose feelings and thoughts or their behavior and their thinking revolve around something outside of themselves. So that includes addiction. It could be a drug. It could be eating. It could be sex, gambling, um, and or another person. So they lose touch with their, they're alienated from their true self. And that's where the healing comes. You have to come back to identifying your feelings, your thoughts, your needs, and then giving them value because you may know them, but you, um, you don't give them value. You put other people first. That's one of the things in narcissistic relationships. Codependents are often involved with narcissists, and they both agree that the narcissist comes first. Yeah. So it works until more and more they become unhappy because they're not getting their needs met and they're getting shamed and they're getting devalued. And then, you know, then it doesn't work so much for them anymore. So, I had a oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to answer your question. So, some of the key traits for a codependent would be shame, dysfunctional boundaries, dysfunctional communication. They're usually either passive or aggressive or passive aggressive. They're not able to be assertive and problems with intimacy. Control is a big issue. So they may be trying to help or advise somebody else. That's a form of kind of passive control versus do what I say. A narcissist would say, you know, order you around and dominate you. Um, but a codependent will try to maybe control their own feelings or control in other ways. Uh, denial is common. So Frequently, they call denial is the hallmark of addiction. So most codependents they are not aware that they're codependent, and they may deny their feelings, deny their needs, as I said, deny uh, abuse or dysfunction in their family. They think their family was great, and they don't realize that their emotional needs weren't met. So there are some, there's about five core issues, and underlying it all is shame, and they both share shame. So in a relationship between the two, uh, a narcissist will... Um, it idealizes power. 
That's what makes them feel safe. This is one of the determining traits that you said that's different. And I go into it in my book, Conquering Shame. So a, because of their personality, because of their childhood upbringing, narcissists, and some other people that aren't narcissists also, uh, seek power to feel safe. Right. Where a codependent will seek connection. So they want to please, they want to get along. So typically, a codependent will uh, go along to get along. So a narcissist will go along to get ahead. That's all they care about. So they will um, sacrifice the relationship for power. So a codependent will sacrifice themselves for the relationship. Right. So one puts the, their power first. The codependent puts the relationship first. You have to understand that dynamic and the brain workings and the behavior of a narcissist to not take it personally. And not what happens all the time is people say, well, I, would, I did so much for him and for her, and they won't do one thing that I ask. Yeah, I would never act that way. How could they treat me? They don't understand the thinking of the narcissist, that it's like me first, and they lack empathy. So they don't often see you as a separate whole person. You become an extension of their, themselves. And this is the way their brain works. Their brain works differently. So a narcissist has trouble seeing other people. A codependent has trouble seeing themselves. So they're kind of like mirror images of them. Right. So they both see the narcissist. They both put the narcissist first until that doesn't work anymore. Does it, I have an interesting question. Sorry, Melissa, I know you're dying to ask something. No, you're right. You're right. No, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. Well, then if the narcissist is a narcissist and basically doesn't care about anybody else but his own, his or her own feelings, right? And they are the center of the entire world. Do they ever reach out for help? <laughs> they, don't want? They, they rarely do. They might when their business fails. Or they're married, they go through a divorce. You know, one narcissist said to me after a divorce uh, that when he went to therapy, he said, um, I ha- I, I, it was affecting my self-esteem. I had to take a drink just to get through the, the therapy session because they're not used to looking at themselves. You know, the problem is always at someone else. That's my key to a lot because of their shame and insecurity. That explains just about all the behavior. And I write about it in my book and on my website. Just about everything they do is to deflect responsibility. Yeah. So, and even, you know, many uh, codependents in the beginning, they have so much shame underneath that they'll deny that they did, you know, (laughs) they did anything wrong and they'll deny and deny and then finally maybe admit it. And then there's other codependents that always take responsibility and it's always their fault. There's different kinds of shame. So. Wow. Was I, I was so seriously codependent. (laughs) <laughs> when I was younger, well, there's a solution. No, it's great. I, I, I think like perhaps that I've gotten over that for the most part. But boy, did I! Wow. <laughs> well, I was too. My, somebody was. I put everybody, at, you know, and I was always at fault. Poor me, little victim. Oh, anyway, it's nice to know, but it's nice to have definition. I think that that's what's so challenging about these behaviors, and that's kind of you know, mental health and mental balance in general, it's having an understanding because I'm sure that solutions and remedies and recovery come from an understanding, an awakening to to those behaviors and and then an awakening to yourself and then an awakening to what you're thinking, how you're behaving, you know, and being aware of that, of all those things. I've shared in my book and before that I was married to an alcoholic. So a lot of before I started recovery, um, spouses, relatives, alcoholics 
now I can try to get the alcoholic to stop drinking. And they don't understand it's an addiction. And that is just feeding the shame. And they deny their own needs and don't, you know, have a life that everything is focused on the addict. So um, that behavior of trying to help and change uh, an addict or a narcissist for that matter, it's pretty much the same, uh, is a way of denial. Right. Because when I started healing I, and learning about addiction and I realized, oh, my husband could actually die of this disease. I had to go through grieving as wow. part of my recovery as if he died from it to be able to let go and not react to it. the drinking had to become his problem. And when it became his problem, he had to find a solution. I didn't, I wasn't the problem. So if you're trying to, you know, nag somebody or change somebody, which is typical of codependence, then you become the problem. Same with a yeah. teenager, you know, you become the problem. They don't suffer the consequences of, the, of their behavior. So the, they've shown from research, the most effective um, motivation for an addict to get help is suffering the consequences of their behavior. So enabling, you know, covering up, calling the boss, uh, making excuses, all that kind of behavior uh, perpetuates the problem. Yeah, of course. Of course. So you're, you're educating a narcissist too, the consequence of his behavior, because they don't know their impact on other people. They don't see, it's like they're blind to everybody else's, like I said, they're like cardboard cutouts, other people. So this kind of communication is not only uh, motivates them also because they're seeing the impact of their behavior. And right. by the way, you asked about treatment. The first step when they, if they're, and you can use these, this kind of communication and my book to help your partner or sibling or whoever it is, friend, get to treatment. Um, usually the first thing they want to do is get their power back because my book and the pro this process shifts the power from the narcissist to a more equal, balanced relationship. And you'll see them start to become needy when you take back your power in the relationship because you're no longer serving their addiction or their uh, narcissism. And then right. they have to look at themselves. So the first step in when they go to therapy is like they want to get their power back. They're not really too interested in looking at them, themselves. So it takes some time and then they just trust everybody and they will have a power struggle with the therapist. <laughs> so it'll take some time to, for them to want to stay in the therapy to start to look at themselves, maybe their childhood and see how their behavior is hurting them in their work, in their relationships and in every area of their life. And they can change their behavior. They can learn to have be less angry and be less uh, confrontational and change their behavior, but it takes a commitment and motivation. Do you have to address like childhood trauma or past trauma in order to be in order to find a healing or a recovery from narcissism or? Well, I don't know about codependency. Uh, yeah, with codependency, um, it's one of the stages, and I write about it in my book uh, and I most of my clients. Um, but you can make huge progress without discussing your childhood. You know, clients sometimes say to me, you know, I don't want to discuss my past or my childhood. And I say, that's fine. But it's funny that it keeps coming up because we keep getting triggered. And one of the ways of not getting triggered, like they say, well, I hear what you're saying, but every time my husband or my mother or somebody yells at me, I get, become speechless and I, I can't communicate with them and I freeze. Well, that's a trauma response. Yeah. So helping them go back to heal the trauma and kind of relieve some of that automatic um, trauma response. Freeze. Yes. It's PTSD. Basically. Yeah. Um, or CPTSD. <laughs> so 
It's, but you can still make a lot of progress without doing that by learning to be assertive and learning to set boundaries and learning to, um, and raising your self-esteem. You can do all that. And um, I remember I confronted my husband about verbal abuse and he was shocked, but it diminished. You know, it really helped the relationship. So, and I hadn't done any uh, work about my childhood at that point. I hadn't been in therapy at all. So uh, just going to 12-step meetings and uh, practicing, you know, building my self-esteem. What's really important to both narcissists and partners of addicts is to have a life. So right. part of the codependency is like you're focused on somebody else. And I have like a chapter in my book. It's like you have to shift that and make you the focus of your life. There's a joke, you know, in, um, in 12 Steps that like when a codependent is dying, someone else's life flashes before them. <laughs> oh my gosh! I was, I was, I'm struck by the. I'm, we we only have a few minutes left, but I am struck by something that you said earlier about um, a lot of addicts and the narcissism that that kind of that murky area between the two. And I think about how many addicts that we have incarcerated who pro who may or may not be getting proper care to deal with not only their addiction but this narcissism. And so then when they've done their time. It, it, the, the, now maybe why we're seeing the recidivism, the high rates of recidivism is because there's no there's no help for either issue. And maybe their own their, their addiction is only being looked at and the narcissism is, is being overlooked. This is a huge point when you and I are talking, Meryl, about yeah. uh, our penal system and, and the address that we need to have. And that's it, that was a fascinating point. Uh, Darlene, your work is so is so good. I'm 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 actually just literally why we're barely talking is that I know that both of us are taking it all in. And, you know, <laughs> taking it into ourselves and the addicts we know, you know, and everybody deals with this stuff. So your work is so important because I think every all of us know somebody who is either codependent, a narcissist, an addict, all these different behaviors. You know, the world is a challenging place. And I think we come up against this, you know, in our relationships at work and our, you know, our personal relationships and all that stuff. So I appreciate your work so much. Thank you so much for speaking to us. And I want to mention your book again, which, um, hang on. Yes. Yes. Dating, loving, dating and loving. What is it? Dating, loving and leaving a narcissist. Such an incredible book and your other books and your website. Um, say, what's your website? What's the name of your well, website? Well, first of all, you could just Google my name. Darlene oh, okay. Or Darlene what, Lancer, everybody. Darlene Lancer, L-A-N-C-E-R. If you Google her, uh, seriously, go there, look at look at her work and look at the tips and the points, because what she's doing is incredibly important. Thank you so much, Darlene, for joining us today. Thank and everybody, you if, <laughs> if you're listening to this, don't go away because Melissa's going to come back with a lovely tip on energy. Corey Richards, and you're listening to me on Outcomes of Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. I'm a National Geographic photographer. Hey, good morning, everyone. You are advocate, listening to I'm the morning show, to the show with Mariel Hemingway and, and Melissa Yamaguchi right here on KZSE 96.9 FM and 12.90 AM in Santa Barbara.
you for listening to Outcomes of Sun. This is Melissa Yamaguchi with Mariel Hemingway. I'm Melissa. She's Mariel. And I want to tell you about some energy tips. I visited someone who was in a hospital recently, and I began to think about the feng shui of hospitals and how important it is that the lay of the land, so to speak, is vital. Now, in feng shui, we deal with yin and yang energy, and yin energy more, being more oppressed, more can be can be depressed, can be quiet, can be dark. Doesn't have to be. It depends on the degree of of the yin energy. But hospitals are known as yin energy because they're dealing with so much sickness. So, if you or a loved one are required to stay in a hospital room, there are things that you can do to shift the energy of the room. First, I want you to consider balancing the energy of yin and yang. Well, how do you do that? Well, think about this. Yin energy, as I said, is very repressed and really closed down and held down and sad. Everyone's weeping and it's it's scary. Yin energy is very aggressive and people are coming at you very hard and maybe it's a very stern nurse or it's a doctor coming in and barking at you whatever that energy is loved ones need to find the balance i'll give you my mother's an example my mother had a hip replacement one year and i was staying with her before my children i was staying in the hospital with my mom and she had a nurse come in now imagine a hip replacement my mother was anxious she was nervous she didn't know what this meant for her future walking capabilities blah 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 And so she was a little bit nervous, and my mom's not really a nervous cat, but at this situation she was. She had a very, who knows what the backstory is, tired, cranky, hangry, I don't know what, nurse come in and was very aggressive physically with my mom, a little bitty gal too, pushing my mom over. My mother was wincing, and she said, you need to, I need, I have other patients. I can't be babying you. I stepped in and shifted the energy immediately not with an an aggressive yang energy myself like hey 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 yelling at this woman yawn energy but i came out here and said i got it i'll take care of her i'll bathe her so i bathed my mother's back and her arms and i took care of my mother so that that aggressive yawn energy wouldn't upset my mother further and take her and spiral it so you have to find the balance between yin and yang and if something's too aggressive you need to come in with some kindness if it's too weepy you need to come in with some loving firmness like that the second thing I want to bring up is that you need to balance the colors. Oftentimes, hospital rooms will be all baby blue or white because they want to keep it clean. I understand. But there's a balance of colors. You can bring in your loved one's favorite robe or a throw blanket that they like to have that has a little bit of color. Bringing in a shift of color will shift the feng shui and the energy of the room to their favor, to the patient's favor. The next thing is you need to bring nature in. You know, there's a reason why we bring in flowers and plants to loved ones in the hospital. It's a way of letting them know that we're thinking of them, but it's also this incredibly amazing way to bring in nature to help them heal. Some hospitals that I'm aware of do have plants in the room and it's very healing. So in the hospital rooms, if there are beams or columns that can obstruct the view and the patient's bed could be obstructed slight, the view could be obstructed by, by a beam or a column that's in place or a beam overhead, In feng shui, I know you can't get in and start rearranging stuff, but if there is a column that is obstructing your loved one's view from the hallway or seeing what's happening, and then you can place pictures of family members or loved ones or a pet, whatever is going to make them happy or a picture of their home on this column. The objective in, in the hospital is to create an environment that is conducive to healing for the patient. You also want to avoid clutter. Um, I had an uncle that was staying at a hospital and I had not spent the night with him. And I came in, I left him around four o'clock one afternoon, came back the next day to see him. And the room was awry. There was uh, paper from uh, the bendy straws on the floor. There was 
there were tape pieces. It was awry. It was cluttered. It was not, it wasn't dirty. It was just cluttered. So I immediately began to clean it, put everything away and opened up the curtains to give my uncle some light. And he said, I know it's silly, but I feel better. Well, I knew why he felt better. We were shifting the energy to his favor. And then lastly, it's lighting. Hospital lighting is, is not necessarily, not necessarily uh, conducive to, to cheeriness. So, but, and what can you do? Can you bring in your own lamp? Yes. There are little lamps you can get at little stores now that only you can press them and they turn on and it creates an, like a bed stand, a nightstand effect that you can bring in if they don't have that lighting available. It's very inexpensive and you can shift the lighting. But the most important thing is knowing that you have control. And I would encourage you also, if you have a loved one in the hospital, this is not necessarily feng shui, but this is good energy. On the whiteboards they have at the base of the bed and the wall adjacent to the to your your loved one in the bed, they'll have information, the name of the nurse or who's on duty today or any kind of vital information that's for the, the incoming staff. I made a, I have made posters for my loved ones and placed it on that wall next to them saying, if it were for me, example, it would say, I am Melissa Yamaguchi. I have been married 38 years. I am the mother of two children. I have worked in these fields. Giving the staff a little bit of indication that you are a person. What happens oftentimes, I've had doctors and nurses say, I've, I'm only given 30 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes in this room, max. I can't spend a lot of time. But if they see you as human, I did this for my mother and they said, oh, you're a school teacher. Oh, where did you teach? And it began a conversation. So that's just an energetic tip, not necessarily a feng shui one, but stick around. Don't go away too far. Upcoming next with the tip for you on health or balance and living well is Mariel Hemingway. Hello, wonderful humans out there. I am Roy Zatiski from MyWildlife.com, and you are listening to Out Comes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Hey, everyone. You're listening to The Morning Show with Mariel Hemingway, me, and Melissa Yamaguchi. That'd be me. <laughs> right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara. Hi, I'm Dr. Mary McCluskey, and I hope you read my new book, Bubbles, Balloons, and Birds. And I am on Out Comes the Sun with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. And now, Mariel Hemingway with Balance. Thank you so much, Melissa. I am thrilled to be back. You are listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio. And I do have a tip today. So I've been doing a lot of traveling. I do a lot of traveling. And so I want to talk about travel. And like, it, there's so many people that ask me, well, you know, it's so hard to eat and this and that. Is it really? If you, if you kind of organize yourself. So all you have to do is really plan ahead. So when you know you're traveling, I always like I, I bring snacks. If you know that the food's going to be disgusting <laughs> or you know that there's not going to be a lot of options for healthy food in the airport, you bring some food. 
Um, you know, I have to be careful because one time I brought too large an almond butter and they took it away from me because it. I was like, this is liquid. I didn't think it was liquid. But anyway, so you have to kind of monitor these things, have them have little compartments, the things, things to put carrots or celery or something, something to snack on if you if you need food. Sometimes I just fast when I'm on a plane. But if you know, if I know that like I've, I've already intermittent fast too many hours and I need something, I plan ahead and I bring food. That's one thing. Um, always, you know, you always have to get water at the airport. Make sure you get good water. Try to get water. Uh, the, the best water is in is is not in plastic. It's very rare that you find one, but they now are having these bottles that are in uh, aluminum which are kind of interesting. So that's, it's nice to, to, to have an option that isn't plastic. Now we don't always have that option. I'm just saying Fiji water is also a good option, even though it is in plastic, it's good plastic in the sense that it's, it's, it's got a good rating on the plastic. So that's kind of the, the travel day. You want to have your food, you want to have your water. You want to make sure that you have enough water on the plane, because I don't, I don't really recommend the, water that you get in the plane because it's not the best water. It just isn't the best. I'm sorry to say, I think that it's just tap water put in a plastic bottle, but I, I'm, I can't be sure of that. But anyway, <laughs> just it's a preference. I prefer to get as good a water as I possibly can. And yes, you have to pay for water because they just do that to you when you're in the airport. Then when you get to your hotel room, when you get to a hotel room, it's so important. It's kind of like what Melissa is saying about going into a hospital. You kind of have to make it your own. Even if you have a short stay, it's like put things in. Okay, I'm in a hotel room right now. So you kind of have to put things, put things away right away. I always think that it's good to like unpack yourself, you know, do your do your uh, bathroom so you have, feel kind of the comforts of like, I can get to my stuff easily. I like when they have uh, a refrigerator because I can put, you know, whatever I can go. I often run to a Whole Foods or I run to the best market that they have in town and I get just a few items that I know in case dinner's not going to be in a great place that I have something, right? You have to plan to have things for yourself because. Traveling is not uh, an excuse to not take care of yourself. In fact, I always find it kind of interesting because you don't have the stress of life at home and all the responsibilities at home that I think of it as like, oh, this is a great time to take, a, take even better care of myself. So I also bring with me uh, blackout uh, kind of blackout material. I have a felt that goes on the window. And um, and I, I put that those up on the window uh, or usually, you know, they have blackout curtains, but they're never quite enough. And so I have to put down the sides of the windows just to make sure that it's really black because I sleep well in, in a dark, dark room. But especially when you go to a new town and a new place and you're in a new time zone, it's hard to sleep well unless you've got a dark room. So that's super, super important. I always ask for a room that is in the back that is away from like a, a traffic if it's possible. You know, it's not always possible, but you know, that's that's one of the things you think about. Um, and and try to get your circadian rhythm 
in sync with your chronometer is which it, which is your internal body clock, right? You want to get it so that you're pretty much on the same schedule. It's often hard when you when you do time zones, but if you can if you're going long distance, don't take a nap when you get to Europe. You know, like wait till it's time to go to bed in the evening. And it's hard. It's a suffering time, but it's so much better than if you nap and screw because that just perpetuates the whole problem. And I've never had a problem with uh, jet lag by just staying awake that first day. It's so funny because Bobby has a horrible time. <laughs> he can't stay awake. He goes and he naps and he has days of jet lag anyway. So that's that's the other thing you want to do. You want to do food. You want to be able to black out. I even take an earthing mat, which I put on my mattress underneath the fitted sheet. I just stuff it in there. Right. And then I plug it into the wall. And what the earthing mat does is it grounds you when you're sleeping. And I, I travel with it. And being grounded in your sleep is one of the most helpful things you can do while traveling. Now, if you don't have a grounding mat, here's another trick to help you with your circadian rhythm and, and getting on the right time schedule. If you're in a place that's not in the middle of winter and you can go outside and there's some grass, take your shoes off or just sit on the grass for 20 minutes. Lie back on the grass, look up at the sky, especially in summer. It is one of the greatest ways to just ground yourself and you will feel so differently just by it's literally called earthing. It's called grounding. And that the electricity from the earth comes into your body and helps regulate your circadian clock. So that's my tip on traveling. I'm excited about that because, you know, I think we all travel. It's summer. So we're all out there trying to see our friends and family in different parts of the world. And we should do it and feel really good while we're doing it. So that's it. That's my tip. That's my tip, tip, tip. <laughs> I like it. It made me think of when we had Eddie F on the other day and he was talking about using your plane trip to, to fast. Yeah. Time exactly. on the plane to fast. Yeah. It is a good time. I mean, I usually fast on a plane, but once in a while you just find yourself like, ravenous and you don't even know why and it's like oh is my that God. chicken oh, piccata yeah <laughs> it's always chicken piccata by the way <laughs> exactly oh my gosh well anyway that was that what a wonderful show what a what a terrific guest i'm really thrilled to have this information by darlene lancer that was that was really very informative yeah, I sat there. Were you, were you doing what I was doing? I was rolodexing through my brain of everybody I know going, oops, uh, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. Yeah. And I, I, I can really, yeah. Oh, my God. There's all three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My gym teacher. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. You know, I, I really found it interesting that she said that you didn't have to, uh, that you didn't have to look at your trauma. I really, I, I kind of, I wanted to get argumentative <laughs> because I feel like I feel like you can't fully recover from stuff until because I don't think I would have recovered from being massively codependent if I hadn't looked at the trauma that caused it in the first place. But that's me, you know. Yeah. But she gave something that she said at the end, which our our viewers weren't privy to. She talked about percentages in the prisons. Yeah, she said sixty percent of psychopath, like twenty percent are sociopath. And the remaining balance are narcissists. Yeah. 
Wow. I mean, is that overwhelming? That that overwhelmed me when she said it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little crazy. Yeah. But that's, you know, but that's what you're dealing with when you deal with bad bad behaviors and what have you. There's got to be an imbalance in the brain. There's got to be something right. not it's not syncing up right or it's addiction. You know, then there's addiction which is causing and which may be caused by this shame or this, you know, the shame and the, and the, the childhood going back to what your point was going back exactly. to addressing what happened in childhood. Right. Exactly. Fascinating stuff. I mean, we're going to have okay. we'll, we'll bring more of this conversation on because this is something where you and I both are kind of spellbound. Yeah, totally. we'll bring more on. yeah, totally. I'm, I'm fascinated by it because I, 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 you know, that really tells me that we're in in a world where our behaviors are so well we can identify behaviors which is wonderful yes. right so for the mariel hemingway foundation that's what exactly what we want to be able to do is be able to give you that list of things for different different things that might be bothering you and so you can recognize them yeah so anyway thank you everyone for listening to outcomes the sun radio and also again i just want to say if you are compelled or drawn to go to marielhemingwayfoundation.org and help us become a resource navigator it's with your help that we become that and we can give solutions for recovery for anybody who's suffering from any kind of mental imbalance mental illness or what have you but we need your help in order to do that so Thank you. And we'll see you again soon and hear you again soon, or you'll hear us. Anyway, something like that. Choose healthy. Choose you. Outcomes the sun. Please go to MarielHemingwayFoundation.org. Help us create a resource navigator for people with mental health issues. We're coming up with solutions. Outcomes the Sun has been a production of Evolve Entertainment. Hosts, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Executive producer, Jeremiah Higgins. Sound engineer and producer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. And sound engineer, Slater Smith. Thank you for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.